Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. One of the appeals, I think, of prophecy is the idea that there is someone who could reveal to you your future. People have sought out prophets and oracles. This has been the motivation that's usually guided them. They've wanted to know what's going to happen, what the future is going to look like. And usually, when we want to know what the future holds, we're imagining to ourselves it holds something good, some wonderful thing. We just want the specifics. We just want to know how soon it will come, how long we have to wait before this good thing takes place. But imagine you went to a prophet to discover what your future held and you received an oracle like the one that we've just read. Imagine if it was revealed to you that your future, that what was going to happen to you was you were going to be scattered. That the shepherd that you'd put your trust in was going to be stricken. And that you would be cast to the wind. That you would be forced to flee. Well, the thing is, you don't have to imagine that. Because we have gone to a prophet, and he has foretold our future, and this is what he's foretold. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, that oracle is speaking to you of your future, of your shepherd who will be stricken, and the flock that will be scattered. If we are his sheep, then one thing we know for certain is we will be scattered. You know, sometimes when your thoughts are confused, when someone's talking to you about something important, it always happens to me when schedules are being discussed and I'm being asked to make commitments to things weeks from now, I'll find that I can't really focus on those details. I might uh, affirm something that I don't really intend to follow through on. I might commit to things I shouldn't commit to or vice versa because my thoughts are scattered. They're all over the place. I can't really pursue a single line or focus. When you think about being scattered, think about that. Think about an inability to gather your strength, an inability to focus, to, to maintain the direction in your life that you're attempting to travel, to be scattered. Well, this oracle begins with a promise, you might think, of scattering. We hear the words of the Lord. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. And in that line, it's as if we're getting some inner Trinitarian counsel. This is like the Father stating an intention that the time has come for the shepherd to be stricken by the sword of judgment, the sword of justice, that the shepherd that we've seen is cherished by the Father, who's been promised chapter after chapter that his destiny the plan for his life is that he be stricken. And the Father initiates this work. He does it with words that make it very clear how close he is to the shepherd. This is my shepherd. This is the man who stands next to me, and yet he will be stricken. Now this, of course, is a reference to Christ's atonement, where Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, was stricken 
where his blood poured out to make atonement for our sins. We've seen other references in Zechariah's prophecy to the atonement like this, but this one's different because of the focus. Because the focus of this oracle is not on the the suffering of the shepherd. The focus is on what happens to the people as a result. And so that makes it interesting for us to study. The focus here is on the sheep. In striking the shepherd, there's a defeat. There's an apparent conquest of the shepherd. And the result of that defeat is that the sheep are scattered. More than that, that God's hand is turned against them, as it were, in the sense that now they will be tried by fire. Now they will have to face difficulty. Now the scattering that he talks about here has two components to it. And if we were labeling those two components, we could label the first one apostasy, which is the rejection of faith, and the second one refinement, which is this sense of trial that perfects faith. So first, apostasy. He says, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish. Two-thirds of the people in the covenant community, the people the shepherd came, his own people who rejected him, two-thirds are cut off. Now these are people who inherited the promise, but rejected the shepherd when he came. In today's terms, we might think of them as people who inherited the faith people who grew up in the Christian faith, but ultimately reject Christ and turn away from Him and put their hope in other gods. But then we see those, the third, who are spared. The third, who in the terms of the oracle live, but are put into the fire. Now this fire is not a fire of destruction, but a fire of refinement. The idea that In the same way that the impurities can be burned out of precious metals through fire, that the impurities in the life of the people will be burned out through a fire of trial, through a fire of struggle. And that's what this scattering is all about. The struggle of the faithful Christian life in which we are all tested. That's the fire that we've been thrown into. That's the life that Christ has called us to. But the result of the refinement is good. The result is hopeful. If you look at the end of this oracle, you see that as they're refined as one refined silver and tested as gold is tested, they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. In this case, the Lord there in the English translation stands for the covenant name of God, Yahweh. So the confession of faith they're making here is Yahweh is my God. So in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the trial, those who are scattered call upon him. They declare him to be their God, and he names them as his people in the midst of their struggle. And that's what we've been called to. That's the future that has been foretold, though you will stumble and you will fail, though you will be scattered and you will be tried. The way to endure the refining fire is to cling to that confession always. The Lord is my God. Throughout every test, the Lord is my God. To struggle, to stumble, to doubt, to waver, but never to turn from that faith 
that we confess that Yahweh is my God. That is the hope that we have in the midst of struggle. There's more that we can learn about faithful endurance than that, as we will see. One of the things we've observed about Zechariah is the way that New Testament authors refer back to him. His prophecies figure so strongly in the gospel narratives that even though we rank him as a minor prophet because his work is relatively uh, brief in comparison to someone like Ezekiel or Isaiah, in fact, in the gospel narratives of Jesus' crucifixion, it's as if this minor prophet becomes major for a moment. And he's constantly being referred to. Uh, Matthew cites him. John cites him. He's cited by the other gospel authors. But here, he's cited in a new way. Because this oracle is cited not by Matthew, not by John. It is cited by Jesus himself. If you look in Matthew's gospel in chapter 26, just near the end of that gospel, as Jesus is talking to his disciples just prior to his arrest and trial and crucifixion, he says these words to them. This is in uh, chapter 26, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So here we see the words of Zechariah on the lips of Jesus himself. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, cites this prophecy and says it's about to be fulfilled. As the prophet said, strike the sheep or strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I'm the shepherd. I'm about to be stricken and you will be scattered. And like the faithful followers they are, they're like, "Uh uh-uh, no, we won't. That's not going to happen, Jesus. This prophecy will not be fulfilled. They actually stand up against him. It's interesting, though, to think about the implications of what Jesus does here. He quotes this prophecy and he applies it to himself. Now, there are people who will tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. This is something people said about him after the fact. But if the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied that a coming shepherd king with divine characteristics is going to be sent by the Father in order to rescue the people, and then Jesus says, the shepherd king who was promised is me, and he applies those words to himself, then you can be confident that Jesus understood who he was, that Jesus himself made the claims that his disciples would later echo, he says, I am the shepherd king. I am the shepherd who will be stricken. There is no doubt that he not only claimed divinity, but he also insisted that he was the very prophet, the very savior who had been prophesied all those years ago. And then we see Peter here doing a characteristic Peter thing. 
where he is denying Jesus. And even though he's, he's saying to Jesus, no, no, this prophecy won't be fulfilled, there's something admirable about him in his stubbornness. Uh, we admire Peter for his determination, for his, his inability to imagine that he would ever deny Jesus. It's inconceivable to him. But he's not alone in that. If you read Matthew's account, it's clear that, that all of the apostles believe this. That all of them together affirm that, that although the other guys may fall away and deny you, I will not. I will not do this. They all imagine that they are strong. And that when they are tested, they won't be scattered. But Jesus says, you're about to be scattered. And it's about to get hard. What's going to happen after I'm struck is it's going to be every man for himself. The disciples who were together, not only together physically, but together in their assurance. They were together in their confidence that they were faithful and would remain faithful. That would be taken from them. These men who had stood together throughout Jesus' earthly ministry would find themselves now on the run, divided, separated. As we go forward in the Gospel narrative, you encounter them here and there, but not together, not as one, because they have been scattered by what's happened to Jesus. The worst thing that can happen to an army in battle is to retreat. To retreat in disorder is catastrophic. No matter how many people are killed while the lines are drawn, the real killing begins when one side breaks and runs. This is why it's so important in retreat to organize your retreat and to fall back carefully so that you're not suddenly overwhelmed. Because when the lines break, when the soldiers are scattered, everything changes. Men who are outnumbered, as long as they're together, can continue to resist. You could be strongly outnumbered, but as long as you stand together, you can put up a defense. But the moment the lines break, and people flee, you're now alone. And when you're alone, you have no power to resist. When you are alone, you are powerless. And now Jesus says to them, essentially, that's what's going to happen to you. The worst thing that could happen, the unity that you feel right now, the confidence that you feel will be taken from you, and you will be cast out and scattered, and you will be tested But he also, as he tells them this, gives them hope. But they are so convinced they don't need to hear what he's saying that they don't even listen. They don't even pick up on his words. The moment he quotes Zechariah and says, you will be scattered, do you see what he says immediately after this? He says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And this is good tactics. If you go into battle and there's a possibility that you might be scattered, it's good to agree on a place we can all rally afterwards. You may have to run away and flee, but if you do, let's all meet back in this designated location and we can regroup, we can regather. It's as if Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be scattered, but when that happens, let's all rally to Galilee. We'll all gather together back in Galilee and you will see me there again. In fact, I will go there before you. But again, because they didn't think they needed to know, because they didn't think this warning would be fulfilled, they weren't even paying attention, and they would have to be reminded again and again. 
It was at Galilee where Christ called them here that the scattered sheep were made into a spiritual flock. You see it starting at the resurrection. As Jesus says, when I am raised up. If you flip to Matthew 28 and you look at the narrative of the resurrection, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So again and again, this reminder to go to Galilee, which they do. And if you skip a few verses down, starting in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That commissioning of the church is what we call the Great Commission, but in order to get to that moment, they first had to go to Galilee. They had to follow Jesus' instructions. Jesus and the angels urged them to go to Galilee. He's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And it's when they see him in Galilee that they worship him, and he commissions them. If you think about that moment, like what's going on there? Why is this so important? Why? In the midst of this drama that's taking place in Jerusalem, why in the world would they detour for a time into Galilee to spend this time together? It's because they need it. It's because they've been scattered and they need to be put back together. If you think about Galilee and its spiritual significance here, what happens in Galilee is a model for us of what happens spiritually in the church. Think about it. The call to Galilee is not a call to Jerusalem, to the new Jerusalem, to the end of the story. Instead, they're called to a place that's kind of in between. They're called to a place where they will spend time in the presence of Jesus, but but will not yet experience the kingdom in its fullness. That's what Galilee means to them. The church is not yet Jerusalem, but it is being built into Jerusalem and directed towards the new Jerusalem. The church, it's the place where we worship Christ, where we meet Him in His glory, where we glimpse His kingdom, and where we nurture our longing for that kingdom. Our time here in this spiritual Galilee is restorative, but it teaches us to long for what is to come. If you think about the value of Galilee for the disciples, it's the same, I think, as the value for the church for us. Their value 
simply put is this, after the cross, they were scattered. After the cross, it was every man for himself. There was no group of disciples. There was no 12. There were just a bunch of ones who were afraid to show their faces and afraid to name the name of Jesus before men. So they were scattered after the cross, but in Galilee, they came together again in the presence of Christ. So that by the time Pentecost came and they found themselves back in Jerusalem, when they were in that upper room waiting, they were waiting together. They were not scattered any longer. They had gone out every man for himself, but in Galilee, they had been remade into a body of Christ that had been taught not to rely on its own strength, not to rely on its own power, but rather to rely on Jesus Christ and to trust in His Spirit. So that from that day forward, in the chronicle of the ministry of the church, those men would serve together. And they would suffer together as one in Christ. And they would never be scattered again. They would endure faithfully. They would continue to cling to their confession of faith by the help of the Spirit. And they would be one in Christ Jesus. They would be His church. That's the future that this oracle foresees for us as well. Yes, we will be scattered, but we will also be mended. We will be broken apart, but we will be put back together. Together. It's a simple message for us. Simple to apply. Much harder to live than it is to say. That you have been called to Galilee because you have been called to trial. You will be scattered. There are a lot of reasons that people come to church. There are a lot of reasons why people become Christians, why they put their trust in Jesus. A lot of times, the reason that we do that is that we expect it's going to work like this, a kind of spiritual deal, that I will sacrifice things for Jesus, and as a result, I will receive blessings. My life will get easier. Things will go good for me. I will attain my hopes. Now, I'm not saying to you that none of that is true or real. I'm not saying that if you follow Jesus, in fact, Jesus will crush your hopes and you should get ready for it. But what I am saying is, you have been called to trial. That trial is a process of refinement, and that should change the way you look at it. The setbacks and the struggles, the opposition that you face, uh, the pain that you endure, you endure differently when you see it as a trial meant to refine you. A lot of times we suffer, and you see people doing this all the time. They suffer and they shake their fist at, at the metaphorical sky and say, you know, why was this done to me? I will no longer serve you. To react that way to suffering, though, is to misunderstand its nature. It would be like the gold being put in the refining fire and saying, why are you putting me in the fire? I refuse to be purified. It makes no sense. Our trials are meant to purify us, and we should expect them. And when we are tried, we should cling to our confession. 
we should proclaim the Lord is my God regardless. Regardless, the way that Job can increase or decrease and yet claim God as his God, the way that Paul can learn to increase or decrease and yet trust in God for all things. This is the model for us for faithful living. So you will be scattered, expect it. But the good news is there's a plan for this. When you are scattered, rally to Galilee. When you are scattered, go to meet Christ where he is, where he has preceded you. Come to his church. Gather with Christ's people at the foot of the cross. And in worship, and in meditation, in prayer, and in fellowship, be rebuilt, be reformed into a body. When you are scattered, gather together with Christ's people and be made whole again into a church so that when you serve and when you suffer, you do it together. You do it as one in Jesus Christ. We serve together. Sometimes we suffer together, but let us do it together. and Let us do it in His name. When you are tried, Don't let that personal trial separate you from your brothers and sisters in Christ. All too often, that's what happens. We are tried. We are tested. We do badly. We look back with shame on how we handled it. We weren't as faithful as we should have been. And because we weren't as faithful, we don't want to be in the presence of people that we think will judge us for not having endured well. And so we separate ourselves from one another. We scatter ourselves at the time when we most need to be with the body of Christ. When you are tried, don't react this way. Because the reality is the church is made of scattered people. And if there's one thing everyone can identify with, it is the failings that you have experienced because we failed in the same way as well. But in the church, in that commissioning that Christ's people receive, there's a promise that goes along with it. It's an assurance to us as scattered people. Christ says, I am with you always. I am with you always. The reason you're here, I hope, and if it's not the reason, I hope you will discover this reason. The reason you're here is to draw near to Him to be near to Him with those who are also drawing near to Him. That's what church is for. It's also what testing is for. Testing is meant to draw us nearer to Christ. When you are tested, don't feel that you're being pushed away because it is in suffering that we draw nearer to the Savior who suffered for our sake. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.